Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Monday Thursday is probably one of my favorite days to think about, dwell on, because we usually focus on everything that leads up to the cross. We have the Lord's Supper with his disciples, the Garden of Gethsemane seen, and then Jesus will be arrested and put on trial. But before we get to all of that, let's go back. A hundred years before that happened, let's go back to around 100 B.C. This is part of what we now call the intertestamental period. It's that period after 400 B.C. between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, where the Jews recognized that God had ceased speaking to them, the Israelites, through the prophets. Those 400 years became 400 years of silence from God for them. One of the first times God speaks after this period of silence is over is to a woman living in Nazareth named Mary. This is called the Annunciation, where the word of God is announced to Mary. The word that she will bear a son, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Most High, from the line of David. Even though this word comes to Mary, this word had been promised long ago. One of those prophecies was from Isaiah chapter 11, which says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now Jesse is David's father. So when Luke mentions David, we know that Jesus' lineage goes back to Jesse as well. Jesus is that shoot from the stump of Jesse, who the spirit of the Lord will come upon. Fast forward to Luke chapter 4, where Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61. It reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everybody is staring at Jesus, and then he says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That did not end up going well, since this section of Luke is titled, Jesus Rejected at Nazareth, because the people tried to throw Jesus off a cliff after this. This would not be the last rejection Jesus faced, though. The reason I bring up all of this is because when I was in Israel, we went to Nazareth and to a rebuilt village of what it would have looked like back then. We went to the synagogue and heard the scroll of Isaiah read. When you look at the meaning of the word Nazareth, one of the meanings behind it comes from the Hebrew word Nazar, which means shoot or branch. The shoot of Jesse lived in a place called Shoot. While we were in this Nazareth village, we also passed by a 400-year-old olive tree. That's the picture on your left. If you look closely, especially at the main part of the trunk, you might think it's not that healthy of a tree. But if you look closely toward the base of the trunk, you can actually see some shoots coming from the tree. Even though it looks dead, the shoots grow and the tree survives. 
If you look at the picture of the olive tree on the right, you can see more shoots coming from the trunk of the tree. 400 years of waiting for God to speak, and he speaks in a big way. Though it may have seemed something small, insignificant, because it's just a virgin. But Jesus was sent at just the right time, and that shoot would become something incredible. Speaking of olive trees, while we were there, we also saw how olive oil was made using an olive press. They bring the olives and put them in this bowl, this well, and there's a 300-pound circular stone that is connected to a wooden pole. The wooden pole is connected to a donkey, and the donkey walks around crushing the olives. The olives form a paste, and the paste is then transferred onto these mats. They look like round place settings, but mesh-like. The mats are then placed at the end of this olive press. There are three weights that are used to press the olives three times. The first weight is added and the paste is pressed. This results in virgin olive oil. The virgin olive oil would have been used in the temple or the oil that would have anointed kings like David. A second weight is added, pressed, and this results in a less pure olive oil. Household oil, cooking oil, is what it would have been used for. A third weight is added, and the oil that comes out is no longer green. It's brown. This oil is not great. So it's used for lamp oil and soap. Fast forward again to Monday, Thursday, as Jesus traveled to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. As we set our feet in the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel, the garden is full of olive trees. That might only be interesting to you because I just talked about olive trees, but there's more than that because of what Gethsemane means. Similar to Nazareth, there are a number of potential meanings of the word. One of them comes from two Hebrew words, got and shamin. Got means press, and shamin means oil or olive oil. So Gethsemane could literally stand for olive press. So as Jesus walks in this place, you have the shoot of Jesse praying in the garden of the olive press. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it? You actually don't have to be impressed by that connection at all. All you need to know is that everything that happened in the garden happened for you. Jesus withdraws from the other disciples who are there and kneels down and prays, saying, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This cup that Jesus asked to be removed from him is referring to the cup of God's wrath, which you find in Isaiah chapter 51. That's God's wrath for the sin of all mankind, for your sins, for mine, for the sins of all people. Jesus asked that it be taken from him, that he wouldn't have to go and die, die for the sins of all people, and suffer the full extent, the full punishment of God's wrath, hell itself. Here's the thing. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's punishment, all because of our sin. We deserve death, and not just physical death, but eternal death, hell. You can feel that in the next verse as it says Jesus was in agony as he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I don't know that I've ever experienced agony before, or at least agony like this. But I can say that this word agony is not used anywhere else in the Bible. So this is a -a one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-forever type of feeling. And it was so bad that Jesus sweat blood. Medically speaking, called hematidrosis. Three times Jesus prays this, and the third time is when Jesus feels the full weight of God's will and sweats blood. I struggle just to admit my sin, and here is Jesus struggling with having to bear the sins of the whole world. So in that prayer, asking to take the cup, Jesus prays that God's will be done, and it is. Let me take you back for a moment to the olive press. If you remember the third time the olives are pressed, it's no longer green oil, it's brown. And one of its uses is for soap. Jesus goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the third time he prays to God, he feels the full pressure of God's will and begins to sweat blood. Sweat that's no longer clear, but colored. Red or when it dries especially, brown. After this third time of praying, Jesus is going to submit to the will of God and he is going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or shall I say, he washes, cleanses you from all your sin. Jesus was rejected in Nazareth by the people he grew up around. Rejected in the garden by Judas, who betrayed him after three years. And he would then be rejected by Peter three times. And ultimately rejected by the people he came to save. And that's why he ended up on the cross. But it was all part of God's plan. His will that Jesus had submitted to. So Jesus goes and drinks all of God's wrath. All of our stuff. All of our sin. On the cross. Jesus takes our sin, takes our death, and takes our hell. And he dies there. But that's not the end. You know it. Jesus paid the price for us. And because he was the perfect sacrifice, he rose from the dead, proving that he had defeated sin, death, and the devil once for all. And because of his death and resurrection, we're forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. And now we get to gather together and drink from another cup. Not the cup of God's wrath, but instead the cup of Jesus' blood. Where we don't just drink his blood, we eat of his body as well. This is the supper he shared with his disciples that first Monday, Thursday, and the supper we get to share this evening. So whatever you're going through in life, if you're struggling with sin, if the pressure of the world is too much, If burdens are too heavy to carry, God is here. If you feel like you're in your own intertestamental period, God hasn't really spoken to you recently, made himself known to you that he's silent, gone. He's not. He has spoken to you through Jesus. Because the shoot, the branch of Jesse, has come. He has endured the agony in the garden the cross where he shed his blood for you, and he has overcome sin, death, and the devil to wash you clean of all your sins, 
the same way he washes you clean in baptism to give you eternal life. And he has given us again his body and blood in the supper to bring you forgiveness, to strengthen your faith, and to assure you of your salvation. This is for all who believe, as the words and promises of God declare. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.